I'm going to invite my friend Michael to do the scripture reading. Good morning. Today's scripture readings from Leviticus 23. This is the word of the Lord. The Lord spoke to Moses, speak to the Israelites and tell them, these are my appointed times, the times of the Lord that you will proclaim as sacred assemblies. Work may be done for six days, but on the seventh day, there is to be a Sabbath of complete rest, a sacred assembly. You are not to do any work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord wherever you live. These are the Lord's appointed times, the sacred assemblies you are to proclaim at their appointed times. The Passover to the Lord comes in the first month at twilight on the 14th day of the month. The festival of unleavened bread to the Lord is on the 15th day of the same month. For seven days, you must eat unleavened bread. On the first day, you are to hold a sacred assembly. You are not to do any daily work. You are to present a food offering to the Lord for seven days. On the seventh day, there will be a sacred assembly. Do not do any work. Good morning, church family. How's everybody doing? You guys good? Uh, if you're new, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, and normally, my regular role is to kind of get to be the primary preaching pastor of this church. And one thing you should know is we really value the Word of God. We love having uh, our minds shaped by it. We love having our lives directed by it because we really believe that this is not just some old religious book. This is actually uh, communication from God himself. And in him, we encounter the living God. And one of the things we love doing is we love going through uh, books of the Bible, kind of line by line, verse by verse, and I'll just say it, Leviticus was my idea, okay? Uh, and so for some of you, are like, hey, good job, but for others, you're like, now I know who to blame, so yes. Um, but uh, real briefly, um, I just want you to know that in this, uh, this last week, a group of us who are leaders in the church got to travel to Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, our church is part of a network of churches. It's called the Harbor Network. It used to be called the Sojourn Network. And um, Aaron Lynn and I have been developing friendships Oh, for the last about six years that we've been a part of this network, and we got to bring along Pastor John, we got to bring along Pastor Jason, we got to bring along Myung, our, our deacon of Connect, we actually got to bring along Jeremiah, who's one of our elder candidates, and actually he's going to be leading us in communion for his first time here in just a few minutes. So it was a really great time of refreshing, it was a great time of teaching, it was a great time of seeing like for real fall colors in Kentucky here in October, it was amazing, but really it was a great time of friendship. Friendship. Um, I know for me and Aaron Lynn, uh, just friendships that we've developed over the last six years, uh, some of the sweetest friendships, even though people live in New York or Boston or Ohio or Florida or wherever they live, it's like we can pick back up where we left off six months ago and get to just enjoy that deep friendship. And so um, we're going to share more about the conference and about more of what God was teaching us at our upcoming family gathering here in November. So look for more information on that. But just if I could kind of pick up on the theme of friendship and tie it here to the book of Leviticus, I've wanted to preach through the book of Leviticus for maybe about four years. And this was the first year that we really kind of felt myself and the elder team felt like, yes, the Lord is leading us to dive into the book of Leviticus. And over the last four years, I have a really good friend, a close personal friend who uh, we have sat in my yard. We've sat in his yard. We've sat in that yard. And we have had long um, some would say too long, conversations around Leviticus and around Torah. And uh, I'm speaking, of course, of my good friend, Rabbi Matt Rosenberg. Matt and I met about six years ago also. And actually, it started because our teenage daughters were at a youth summer camp together. And now they're sitting in the balcony um, talking and not listening to me. That's great. Love you, girls. Uh, but they, they came home from the camp. And my daughter, Delaney, at the time was like, Dad, did you know that there are Jewish people who love Jesus? And I was like, I actually did know that. But that's amazing that you found like a unicorn out in the wild. That's crazy. So, um, so she came home and said, well, we want to be friends. And you guys should probably be friends. And um, so Matt and I have become friends. His wife, Laura, and their family have all been, we've been in each other's homes many times. And, and um, the book of Leviticus, I actually thought we might make it through the whole book of Leviticus without having Matt come and guest preach. I was trying. 
I was trying. It was like a, it was like a pride thing. And so the Lord decided to, to break me down. And, and, and in this particular passage where we're talking about the seasons and the festivals, and as we were talking, I was like, you know what, Matt, you just have to come and you have to help us see the Lord Jesus in the book of Leviticus. So uh, the, the, the Bible instructs us to give honor where honor is due. If you have benefited from my teaching, primarily in the book of Leviticus, um, Matt gets a lot of credit for the iron sharpening iron conversations that we've had. And so I'm really thankful for him. And so I'd like to invite Matt to come up. And would you guys please give a really warm Sound City Bible Church welcome to Matt Rosenberg. Appreciate you, man. It's all you. See, what happened was he had to bring in the designated hitter. That's, <laughs> see, because he needed a home run. So that's... Unlike... <clears throat> unlike the Mariners... <coughs> sorry. Listen, the Yankees may lose today, so you got, which I know you would be happy about. It's okay. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. Okay. Uh, today we're going to talk about sacred time and uh, the end of Sukkot specifically. Sukkot is the Feast of Tabernacles. And uh, there's things that you're familiar with Jesus saying. He said, um, anyone who is thirsty, let them, come, let them come to me and drink. He said, uh, I'm the light of the world. He said, I am a good shepherd. What you probably don't know is that all of those things were in the context of one of the festivals that the Lord commanded us to celebrate called Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles. Um, so I'm going to get to Jesus but there's a lot of context we got to do so you can understand what Jesus was actually saying during the festival of Sukkot and how the people he was saying it to understood what he was saying. Um, so first we have to talk about time in general. Time is a part of God's creation. He's outside of time because he created it. He's not bound by time um, as we are because he stands outside of it. And part of the time, we call it the Jewish calendar, but really it's a calendar that God commanded us to keep. So it's not a calendar in the sense that we just came up with different holidays to celebrate different things. They're things that he told us to celebrate. In fact, they're never called Jewish holidays. They're called the feasts of the Lord. They're his. He literally says, they belong to me, and I'm inviting you to celebrate them. So the month that we're in on the Jewish calendar... God's calendar, I did it right, is, uh, is the month of Tishri, which is the seventh month of the calendar. What's interesting about the seventh month is the number seven always means Sabbath, because the seventh day is the Sabbath. And that, what happens in the seventh month of the year is there's more Sabbaths in the seventh month than there is in any other, in any other month of the year. So where there's typically four Sabbaths or Shabbats, or plural is Shabbatot, in where there are usually four, in the month of Tishri, there are at least eight because it's a month of Sabbaths. It's the seventh month of the year. And there's four extra Sabbaths. There's one for the festival of trumpets, which we call in scripture is Yom Teruah, which is also called Rosh Hashanah. Uh, we have a uh, Sabbath day for the Day of Atonement, which is called Yom Kippur. And then there's two Sabbaths for Sukkot, the first day and the eighth day uh, of Sukkot. Now, people always say, Jewish people and everyone always says, that the holiest day of the year is Yom Kippur, which is not in the Bible. It doesn't ever call Yom Kippur the holiest day of the year. The holiest day of the year actually happens once a week from Friday night at sundown to Saturday night at sundown, and it's called Shabbat. It's called the Sabbath. If you don't understand the Sabbath, you can't understand any of the holidays because all of the holidays have days that are to be treated like a Sabbath. So Leviticus 23 verse one says, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the sons of Israel and tell them, these are the appointed times of the Lord which you are to proclaim to be holy convocations. They are my festivals. Work may be done for six days, but the seventh day is a Shabbat of solemn rest and a holy convocation. And you are to do no work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all of your dwellings. 
So the, for the Sabbath day, God commands us to have a holy convocation. This is the first time in the first thing that is called holy in the scriptures, in Genesis, is the Sabbath. And the word holy doesn't really mean, when we think of the word holy in English, we think of perfect, some kind of perfection, but a better translation of the word kadosh in Hebrew uh, is the, is uh, rather than holy, is completely other. God says, be completely other, for I am completely other. There's nothing in creation like God. Though we are made in his image, we are not him. And there's nothing in creation like human beings because we are completely other than the rest of creation. There's nothing like the Jewish people among human beings because God created us to be completely other from the nations. There's an order and a pattern in how these things work. And so he calls, the first thing he calls completely other is the Sabbath day. And then he tells us to have completely other convocations, gatherings for a completely other people, the Jewish people. So each of the festivals that are in the list of Leviticus 23 are based on the idea of Shabbat. And they are days that are completely other, holy, kadosh. There's a first and last, first and seventh day of Passover, our Sabbaths. Then there's, um, then we count seven Sabbaths, 49 days plus one day to the day of Shavuot or Pentecost, which is also treated like a Sabbath. See the pattern? It's always there. Everything happens in sevens. Even when we count, he's like, okay, from Passover, you're then going to count seven Sabbaths to the next holiday, which is plus one day, 50 days. Then in the fall, we have, uh, we just are in the middle of Sukkot, well, at the end of Sukkot, but uh, we've already celebrated the day of Rosh Hashanah is a Sabbath, the day for no work. The day of Yom Kippur is a Sabbath. The first day of Sukkot is a Sabbath. And the last day of Sukkot is also a Sabbath, which is actually at sundown tonight um, and into uh, tomorrow. And in fact, if you're interested um, in seeing some of the celebration of Sukkot, our congregation restoration in Northgate uh, has a service this evening at six o'clock where we take out the Torah scroll and everyone comes up and they help us roll it because we're in the end of the Torah Deuteronomy and we start over next week in Genesis. And so everyone comes and helps us roll the Torah back to Genesis. And then we have like eight pounds of candy and we throw candy. <laughs> Because the scripture says that the word of God is like honey to our lips, which modern translation, uh, for me specifically, is the word of God is like Reese's peanut butter cups to your lips. <laughs> so we're going to throw those. Um, there, uh, nowhere, I said, nowhere in the scriptures are these feasts or the Sabbath called Jewish holidays. They're called the feasts of the Lord. And he gave them to us as a rhythm and a cycle, which is already mentioned several times in the service. There's a rhythm and an order and a cycle that God built into the calendar itself so that no matter what we're experiencing, there are scheduled times and appointments for us to experience certain things. They're reminders of things that God knew we were going to forget. So he made appointments ahead of time and said, show up on these days so I can remind you the things you'll forget. Uh, Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel wrote this book called The Sabbath. It's meaning for modern man. And in it, he calls the Sabbath and the Sabbaths for the holidays, he calls them cathedrals in time. See, in Judaism, holy places come third. The first thing that God calls holy is the Sabbath. Then he calls people holy. Then he commanded us to have a holy place the tabernacle. Genesis 2 verse 1 says, so the heavens and the earth were completed along with their entire array and God completed on the seventh day the work that he made and he ceased on the seventh day from all the work that he made. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it kadosh, sanctified it, for on it he ceased from all his work that God created for the purpose of preparing. That's that word kadosh. It's not holy. It's completely other, because God blessed the seventh day and said, out of the seven days of the week, there are six that are the same as each other, but there is another day that is completely other, called the Sabbath. Then, at Mount Sinai, he calls us 
the Jewish people, Kedoshim, which is a, a completely other people. And then after the golden calf, which he gave us the commandments, then Moses came down and we already broke them before he even gave them to us. And then he, in his frustration, breaks the tablets on the ground like any parent would. And come on, you stupid children. And he has to go back up for 40 days and get the same exact tablets rewritten by the finger of God so he can bring them back down. It's then that God commands us to have a holy place called the tabernacle. So Heschel says it this way. He says, the sanctity of time came first, the sanctity of man came second, and the sanctity of space came last. Time was hallowed by God. Space, the tabernacle, was consecrated by Moses. And he says, the meaning of the Sabbath is to celebrate time rather than space. Six days a week, we live under the tyranny of things of space. On the Sabbath, we try to become attuned to holiness in time. And the holy days of the holidays that we celebrate that come from Leviticus 23, like the Sabbath, are designed to be cathedrals in time. Because in Judaism, sacred time is always greater than sacred space. Sacred time is more important than sacred space. If you ask Jewish theologians, where is Mount Sinai? The answer is, we don't care. But isn't it a holy place? Well, yes, it was, but what's important is what he gave us there, not the actual mountain itself. It's not until monks in the 300s that they, they decide to go look for Mount Sinai because they want to find a holy place. And Jewish people are like, it doesn't matter. We don't care about the place. We care about the covenant he made with us in that place. So Heschel says, Judaism teaches us to be attached to holiness in time, to be attached to sacred events, to learn how to consecrate sanctuaries that emerge from the magnificent stream of a year. The Sabbaths, he says, are our great cathedrals. And our Holy of Holies, this is a heavy sentence, for Jewish people. Our Holy of Holies is a shrine that neither the Romans nor the Germans were able to burn. A shrine that even apostasy cannot easily obliterate. Because Jewish ritual may be characterized as the art of significant forms in time, as architecture of time. So today on the calendar is the seventh day of Sukkot. Tomorrow is the eighth day, which the Sabbath starts tonight and all day tomorrow until sundown on Monday for the last day. But it's actually the seventh day of Sukkot that's known as the greatest day, greatest and last day, because the eighth day became its own celebration. It happens in Jewish thought all the time. Even Solomon says, I'm going to give you seven things and then an eighth thing also. <laughs> right? So similarly, it's the seven days of Sukkot and then also an eighth day. And Sukkot has three names in the scriptures. It starts off as the Feast of Ingathering. Then it becomes the Feast of Sukkot. And then it's just called the Hag, which is the festival. Of all the other festivals, this one is just, in Jewish writing, is just called the festival. And the Feast of Ingathering, the name comes from Exodus 23, verse 16, that the Feast of Ingathering at the end of, is at the end of the year when you gather your crops from the field. So at the end, the Sukkot is everything has been gathered for the year, and we're celebrating for eight days because God provided for our needs for the whole year. And so it's the end of the harvest and everything has been gathered. So we provide that he did provide. We celebrate that he provided for us in the last year. Then in Leviticus 23, it becomes Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths. Because then God adds to, now you're going to celebrate to, as a reminder to dwell in Sukkot, which is temporary dwellings, when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. Or in Deuteronomy 16, 13, it says you're to keep the Feast of Sukkot for seven days after gathering the produce from your threshing floor and wine press. The last name is the festival. And we say that Sukkot is Zemein Simchatenu, which is the season of joy. It's eight days of joy, whether you're experiencing joy in this time of your life or not, as Aaron Lynn was talking about. It doesn't matter what happens is happening around Sukkot. There's a commandment for joy in this festival. So Deuteronomy 16, verse 15 says, seven days 
you will feast to the Lord your God in the place he chooses, which is Jerusalem, because Adonai your God will bless you in all your produce and in all your work of your hand, and you will be completely filled with joy. So Sukkot closes the year. Sukkot is the end of the cycle. And before it starts all over again in the spring with Passover, this is a celebration for what God did in the last year on the Jewish calendar. So Leviticus 23, verse 39, speaking specifically about Sukkot, says, on the 15th day of the seventh month, when you've gathered the fruits of the land, you're to keep the feast of the Lord for seven days. The first day is to be a Sabbath rest, and the eighth day is also to be a Sabbath rest. On the first day, you're to take fruit of the trees and branches of palm trees and boughs of leafy trees and willows of the brook and rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. We actually have lulav and etrog are all of those leaves that we order. Well, I get mine from gotetrog.com, of course. But uh, lulav and etrog are the things from Israel that are part of the celebration of the harvest. We also get our sukkah, which is a temporary dwelling from sukkahdepot.com in Brooklyn, of course. Yeah. Uh, It says, verse 41, you're to celebrate it as a festival to the Lord for seven days in the year, and it's a statute forever. That's a long time by the way, throughout your generations, and you're to celebrate it in the seventh month. You're to live in Sukkot, temporary dwellings, for seven days. All the native born in Israel are to live in Sukkot so that your generations may know that I had the sons of Israel dwell in temporary dwellings when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And the end of the list of the holidays, verse 44, so Moses declared to the sons of Israel the festivals of God. That's the end of the list. So Sukkot is seven days plus one. The last of these cathedrals in time for the year is a reminder of the Sabbath by literally being seven days and then giving us an extra day, the eighth day. Uh, The eighth day is called Shemini Atzeret, which uh, in English means eighth day. I know, it gets complicated. Uh, Maurice Lamb in a book called Becoming a Jew says, tells a story in the Talmud of why there's an eighth day. He said, God is like a king who invites all his children to a feast to last for just so many days. And when the time comes for his children to leave, he says to them, my children, I have one request to make of you. Just stay one more day. Your departure is difficult for me. And this is the spirit of the eighth day of Sukkot. We have been with God since Rosh Hashanah. Again, in the seventh month, we spend more, we have more Sabbaths and more time with God than any other time of the year. And so he says, it's like we've been with God since Rosh Hashanah, and now we must leave. And God just says, you know what? Just give me one more day, the eighth day. So it's seven days plus one, and there's two Sabbaths, the first day and the eighth day. And Shemini Atzeret, the eighth day, which is tonight and tomorrow, marks the beginning of the rainy season in Israel. And it is on the day of Shemini Atzeret that we change the liturgical prayers and add the line, and God, please give us rain. I realize nobody in Seattle prays that prayer. But when you live in the desert, you pray for rain. And you need rain after Sukkot is over because we need rain to have a harvest for Passover in the spring. So in our liturgy, there's a prayer called the Amidah, and in the Amidah, they add the line, and please give us rain from October until April, because we're asking God to provide for us uh, for the next harvest, which begins in, um, in the spring with Passover. And along with praying for rain, there's this amazing ceremony that was not commanded in the scriptures, but happened in the temple for the seven days of Sukkot. And it's called a water drawing ceremony. And this water drawing ceremony is talked about in the Mishnah, the writings of the rabbis. And they say that the day is called Simchat Beit HaShoveah, which is the feast of water drawing. 
And for the seven days of Sukkot, they would go and they would draw water from the pool of Siloam, or Shiloach in Hebrew, and there is uh, joy and dancing and singing and instruments being played by the priesthood, and everybody is excited, so much so that Rabbi Yehoshua ben Levi said, if you've never seen the celebration of the water drawing, you've never seen an actual celebration in your life. There was so much joy and so much happening uh, for the seven days of Sukkot in the temple courts with all of this joy and all of this music that it was uh, uh, why we call Sukkot the season of joy. But again, it's not commanded in the Torah and you wouldn't even know about it unless you read a little bit about the second temple period in the first century, the time of Jesus. It's based on, the water drawing ceremony was based on a verse in Isaiah, which Isaiah wrote 700 years before Jesus. And Isaiah 12, verse 3 says, Ushaftem mayim besason memaneha Yeshua, which in English is with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And so the rabbi said, because of this verse and because Sukkot is a festival of joy, we're going to draw water from the wells of salvation and have a ceremony that they created where they would gather water, pour it out on the altar in the temple, and the priesthood would celebrate the water that gives us life. There's a spring right outside of Jerusalem called the Spring of Gahon, and Gahon means gushes forth. Uh, And it was this spring that enabled the Jewish people to settle the city of Jerusalem. Without the spring, which is a literal river of life, without the spring... Uh, there's no water and we couldn't survive there. But because of this spring, Gahon, which means gushes forth, uh, we were able to establish the city of Jerusalem. Now, if you've been to Jerusalem or have it, you know there's an old city, but the old city is not actually the oldest city. I'll show you. The, the, the Temple Mount at the top of the picture is a part of the old city and the walls that go around, it's called the old city. But there's actually an older city just south of the old city that... <laughs> is called the city of David. And the city of David is where David's palace is, and it's where Jerusalem was established when uh, King David made it his city and built his uh, palace. And and I'll show you the next picture is, uh, this is actually a model of the ancient city that you can see in the Israel Museum in Jerusalem. Um, and the Temple Mount is at the top. That's the part that you're familiar with. You see the walls outside of the walls are the Gahon Spring. The Kidron Valley is the valley between the Temple Mount and the Mount of Olives. Um, and a lot of things happen there in the Bible. And the Pool of Siloam, you see in the corner, is a pool that's inside the city gates. And it's the Pool of Siloam that the priests would go to to get the water for this water drying so much drawing ceremony for the seven days of Sukkot. What's interesting about the spring is in the days of Hezekiah, the Assyrians wanted to take the spring because the water is what gives life in the desert. And so Hezekiah built a tunnel that goes underground from the Gahon Spring under the city and it, uh, it collects the water at a pool he created called the Pool of Siloam. Shiloach in Hebrew means scent because the the spring which gushes forth goes through Hezekiah's tunnel because, you know, Hezekiah built it so they call it Hezekiah's Tunnel. (laughs) You can actually walk through it. It's one of the coolest things in Israel is you put on water socks because there's water up to your ankles and you walk through the Hezekiah's tunnel uh, into, and it ends at the pool of Siloam, which means sent because the rivers of life were sent to the pool. And they put the pool inside the city, uh, inside the wall, so it was protected from our enemies. Um, there's even an inscription uh, that they found, um, which is the next picture, Uh, It's one of the oldest uh, Paleo-Hebrew, which is ancient Hebrew, uh, inscriptions ever found. It's 2,700 years old. And basically, it's the first public works sign. It's like, this is the water for the city. Hezekiah built this tunnel. That's what it says. Um, But it's 2,700 years old, and they have a tablet in 
uh, in actually the museum in Istanbul, and they, you know, for lots of reasons, won't give it back to Israel. But, um, but it's an amazing historical, like, Hezekiah was there. We know he was there. We know he built a tunnel. Um, and it's amazing. And he created the Pool of Siloam, which collects the water. So they would get the water from the Pool of Siloam. They would pour it out in the temple, accompanied with all of this joy and all of this celebration throughout the seven days of Sukkot. Um, and today, on the, on the Jewish calendar, is called Hoshana Rabbah, which is uh, the seventh day, but it means the great save us day. We, we sing, you know, in, from Greek, it's Hosanna. In Hebrew, it's Hoshiana. And it's one of the times that we cry out, God save us, Hoshiana. And it, literally, that the seventh day is called the great save us day. That uh, we have, God forgives our sins on Yom Kippur as a nation. But the rabbis say that the last day of Sukkot, the seventh day of Sukkot, is your last shot of the year to be forgiven. And it's because every time God gives us an opportunity for something, there's then another opportunity just in case you miss the first opportunity. Because, well, lots of people are going to miss it. So I'll tell you what, if you missed Yom Kippur, you could also be forgiven for your sins on the last day of Sukkot. And so it's in the context of all of those things that Yeshua walks in, Jesus walks into the temple today on the Jewish calendar, on the seventh day of Sukkot, and John says in John chapter seven and verse 37, he says, on the last and the greatest day of the feast, which is not the eighth day, which is the last day, because the eighth day is its own holiday and became its own thing. The last and greatest day is the seventh day because it's seven days plus one more day. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You got it. The seventh day is considered the climax of the festival. The eighth day is separated out as a special Sabbath day where we begin praying for rain for the next harvest. Uh, David Stern in his commentary says it was in the midst of this water pouring, trumpet blasting, palm waving, psalm chanting, and ecstatic joy on the part of the people seeking forgiveness and in the presence of all 24 divisions of the priesthood that Jesus cried out in the temple courts, On the last, the greatest day of the feast, he stood up and said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Why does he say it? Because they're pouring water out from the pool of Shiloh, which comes from a spring, which is the water of life. And in the midst of that ceremony, which is not commanded in the Torah, and Jesus doesn't walk in and go, guys, you made all this up. This is nonsense. Can we get back to the Bible here? Instead, he just walks in and says, the thing you're doing that you guys created based on Isaiah chapter 12, verse 3, that's me. And they went, what? Uh. Verse 38, he says, whoever believes in me, as the scriptures say, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. You know where you just got the water from? From the Gahon Spring, and it goes to the pool of Siloam, and then the priests collect it from the pool. That's also me. I'm the living water. And it was sent to the pool of Siloam. And interestingly, Yeshua then heals someone at that pool. But before that, in verse 39 of chapter 7, he says, okay, and this is John's like footnote. John has these, Tim Mackey says that John has like these selfie moments (laughs) where he's telling the story. And then he goes, by the way, what's happening here? Verse 39 is, so Jesus said this about the Spirit, and those who trusted him are going to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given, since Jesus was not yet glorified. But when they heard the word, some of the crowd said, this man really is a prophet. And others were saying, this is the Messiah. I mean, have you ever wondered why that's the response? It's because not just of what he said, but what he said in context to the celebration of the seventh day of Sukkot. And if he is the living water, then he would be the Messiah. So their response is, so what you're saying here, Jesus, is that you're the Messiah. And then somebody goes, yeah, but he came from the Galilee. That's not where the Messiah is supposed to come from. The Messiah is supposed to be born in Bethlehem. He was. They just didn't know that yet. (laughs) So a division, verse 43 says, so a division arose in the crowd because of Jesus. 
And it's the reason on this, the very, on this day, the, the last and greatest day, Hoshana Rabbah, the seventh day of Sukkot, that then Yeshua heals a blind man and tells him to go wash himself in the pool where they're getting the water from for the water drawing ceremony. And he, John says he sent him to the pool, which is called Sent. So John 9, verse 1, it says, as Yeshua was passing by, he, he saw a man who had been blind since birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned that this man or his parents uh, that he should be born blind? And Yeshua answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned. This just happened so that the works of God might be brought to light in him. We must do the work of the one who sent so long as it is day because night is coming when no one can work. Why? Because it would be the Sabbath for the eighth day of Sukkot. He's literally saying the sun is going down and nobody's going to be allowed to work on the last day of Sukkot. So, verse 5, that means I'm the light of the world. What? Having said these things, he spat on the ground, made mud with his saliva, spread the mud on the blind man's eyes, and he told him, go wash at the pool of Siloam. Here's John again, which means sent. You get it? He sent the blind man to the pool that means sent because the water was sent from the river of life to the pool. And so he sent him to get washed in the pool that means sent. And that's where we get the water from for the water drawing ceremony in the temple that we're standing here. And that's, so what's the connection of water and light? Why does Jesus say, I am the light of the world? Well, there's also a part of the water drawing ceremony where these giant menorahs uh, giant candelabras that the priests had to climb up on ladders to fill with oil and, and then light. And it, it's, it, it's said that the light of these candelabras would light the entire city of Jerusalem, which is why we call the Feast of Sukkot the Festival of Lights. Now, some of you may know that Hanukkah is called the Festival of Lights, but the only reason why Hanukkah is eight days and the only reason why it's called the Festival of Lights is because in the days of the Maccabees, 150 years before Jesus, the temple was destroyed during Sukkot. When the Maccabees got the temple back and reestablished it, they couldn't celebrate Sukkot when it was supposed to be celebrated. So they created another holiday called Hanukkah, which means dedication because they rededicated the temple to God and they made Hanukkah eight days and called it the Festival of Lights because everything about Hanukkah is actually a second Sukkot. It's, we didn't get to celebrate Sukkot, so now we'll celebrate Sukkot again every year, two months after Sukkot. It's based on a commandment for Passover, actually, in Leviticus, where Passover is, it's said, if you, don't, if you can't celebrate Passover at the proper time because you're unclean, you can celebrate Passover a month later on the same days. And so the rabbis said, well, if we could do that with Passover, then maybe we should just create a second Sukkot. So they created a second festival of joy, a second festival of lights. The Mishnah, the writings of the rabbis, says this about the fire. It says, at the end of each festival day uh, of the festival of tabernacles, the priests and the Levites went down to the women's courtyard, and there were these golden candle holders there with four gold bowls on their tops and four ladders for each candlestick. And four young priests with jars of oil containing 120 logs would climb up the ladders to fill each bowl. And this part's kind of gross, but out of the worn-out undergarments of the priests... Gross. <laughs> I guess they were into recycling. They made wicks. And with them, they lit the candlesticks. You got to wonder if it smelled bad or not. But. Then the mission is this. There was not a courtyard in Jerusalem which was not lit up from the light. And in the context of that light, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. This ceremony that you created, which has water and which has light, they're both me. I'm the water. I'm also the light. And the blind man was in the darkness because he couldn't see. And Jesus brought him into the light by giving him sight. And the Pharisees say, so are you saying we're blind? And Jesus says, yeah. 
So the blind man was healed because he was sent to the pool, which means sent, which was caught from the waters that gush forth, the rivers of life. And Yeshua gave him sight because he was in the dark, so now he could be in the light. And while Yeshua said this, there were these giant candle holders that lit up the temple and all of Jerusalem while they were pouring water out on the temple. And as they stood there in the temple courts during the celebration of the water drawing, there was water being poured out from the river of life in Jerusalem while these giant fires burned creating light for the whole city. And in the midst of that, Jesus says, I'm the water you're pouring out and I'm the light that's lighting up the city. But weren't you born in Galilee? (sighs) No. (laughs) But I am the answer to everything you're praying for on Sukkot. I'm the water you're drawing. I'm the rain you're about to pray for tomorrow. And I'm the light in the temple courts. So then, on the same day, John chapter 10, verse 14, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. And just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. I have, no, I have other sheep that are not from this fold. I could preach a whole sermon just on this sense about this is Gentiles before he gave a mission to his disciples to go preach to the Gentiles, he snuck it in there. (laughs) I have other sheep that are not from this fold. I'll explain it later. But those I'll also lead, and they will listen to my voice. So there shall be one flock and one shepherd. What does a shepherd have to do with Sukkot? I'm glad you asked. (laughs) In the first century, a shepherd was analogous to the king. And when Yeshua says, I am the good shepherd, he's saying, I'm the king you're waiting for. In John, just a few verses before, in John 10, verse 8, Jesus says, all those who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. N.T. Wright in his commentary says that the shepherd was a regular image for the king, and when Jesus declares that all his predecessors were thieves and robbers, he was indicating probably the Hasmonean dynasty, which goes back to the Maccabees, And, more specifically, Herod, who was a Jewish king who was a puppet for Rome. And he's saying, the kings that came before me are thieves and robbers, and my sheep didn't listen to them, but they'll listen to me. And why does that matter? Well, on Sukkot, back to the days of Ezra and Nehemiah, which is 500 years before Jesus, the liturgy for Sukkot is from Zechariah chapter 14. In Zechariah chapter 14, verse 9, which they're reading on the day that Yeshua is saying these things, says, the Lord will be king over all the earth. And in that day, the Lord will be one and his name one. So why does Jesus say one flock, one shepherd? Because everyone heard Zechariah 14, verse 9. Oh, you mean like in Zechariah, you're saying you're the king we've been waiting for. In fact, in Judaism, the liturgy that we sing on Sukkot is called Bayom Hahu, which means in that day. And it goes like this. V'nemar v'chaya Adonai l'melech ha-koretz Bayom Hahu Bayom Hahu Iye Adonai Echad Ushemo, 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 In that day, the Lord will be one and his name one. Not surprisingly, the same chapter of Zechariah talks about Sukkot. 14 and verse 16, it says, after there's a war and all the nations of the earth attack Jerusalem, it says, then all of the survivors, and everything that Jesus said is in Zechariah 14. From all, after the survivors from all the nations that attack Jerusalem will go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord, and to celebrate Sukkot. Furthermore, if any of the nations on earth do not go up to Jerusalem, they will receive no rain while we're praying for rain. 
And if the Egyptians do not go up to celebrate, they'll have no rain. Instead, there'll be a plague that the Lord will inflict on the nations that do not go up to celebrate Sukkot. This will be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations that do not go up to celebrate Sukkot. So just as we're beginning to pray for rain, because Zechariah and Haggai told us to on Sukkot, 500 years before Jesus, Jesus stands in the midst of all of these ceremonies and says, I'm all the things you're praying for. Zechariah 14 verse four says, in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. Now, I believe that Zechariah is prophesying the second coming of Jesus, not the first. And he's saying, in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is the other side of the valley from all the things we're talking about. And he said when he ascended from there that he would return to the same place. In that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which lies to the east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from the east to the west, forming a huge valley, and half the mountain will move towards the north and half towards the south. Then you will flee through the mountain valley because the mountain valley will reach to Azel. Yes, you will flee like you fled from the earthquake in the days of King Uzziah of Judah. We all remember that, right? And then the Lord God will come and all the Kedoshim, the holy people, the completely other people with him. And in that day, there'll be no light, cold, or frost. It'll be known as a day only to the Lord. And there won't even be night because even in the evening, there, there won't be night because even in the evening, there will be light. Moreover, the waters will flow from, living water will flow from Jerusalem half towards the eastern sea and half towards the western, both in the summer and the winter. And the Lord will be king over all the earth. And in that day, the Lord will be one and his name one, one flock, one shepherd. Jesus is the water. He's the rain. He's the light. He's the shepherd and he's the king. Not only that, but he's even the tabernacle itself, which we celebrate on the Feast of Tabernacles. Feast of Booths. John 1 verse 14 says, the word became flesh and he tabernacled among us. We looked upon his glory, the glory of the one and only from the Father, full of grace and truth. Remember, the water drawing ceremony that that Jesus is participating in was based on a verse in Isaiah 12 and verse three, written 700 years before Jesus. Ushaftem mayim sason mimaneh Ha Yeshua. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of Yeshua. 700 years before he even said these things, his name was already there because his name means salvation. And when the rabbis created this ceremony, with joy, they would draw water from the wells of salvation. Yeshua, whose name salvation, stood up and said, the verse is about me. It literally has, I mean, it has my name on it. <laughs> you, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And the end of the story is the same. Revelation 22 and verse one, which people make all kinds of weird conclusions about Revelation. Everybody's trying, when we were, when we were kids, it was like, uh, you know, everybody was afraid to get, it was about chips, right? We were gonna get like a chip in our wrist or our forehead, which, I mean, I basically have one on my wrist, which freaks me out a little bit, but <laughs> we, we make up things like this must be, and then we miss what actually is. Instead, just the end of the story finishes with Sukkot. Then the angel showed me a river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And verse 17 says, and the spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes freely take the water of life. This is why we pay attention to cathedrals in time. This is why we pay attention to the sacredness of the time that God gave us on our calendar because sacred time is greater than sacred space. Sukkot is a scheduled week of joy. And it comes whether you're in a season of joy or not. 
And we have joy because God has provided everything for us that we needed in the last year. And then, because the harvest is over, and then tomorrow we start to pray for rain. But the purpose of Sukkot is to remind us that he's already provided for last year. He will provide what we need for the coming year as well because he is the water, he is the rain, he is the light, he is the shepherd, he is the king, he is the tabernacle itself. So whatever you struggle with, whatever worries and concerns you have, whatever season you may be going through that lacks joy, in this week of joy, we celebrate all the amazing things that God has done for us because, Aaron Lynn already said it earlier, he's in control. He's not worried. He's not thinking, oh man, the economy's really bad right now. He's not thinking, oh gosh, that guy's president? He's not surprised by anything. He created time. He's not bound by time. We get so worked up and so worried about so many different things that God just says, you know, I'm the water and I'm the rain and I'm the light and I don't know why you're so worried. I got it. And he created these days as cathedrals in time so he could give us opportunities to pause, to rest, to breathe, and trust that he's already provided for everything in the last year and he's going to provide everything in the next year and he will continue to provide until Yeshua shows up again and his feet stand on the Mount of Olives and in that day, the Lord will be one and his name one. He's not confused about who he is. What it means is everyone will recognize and when the scripture says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, it doesn't matter what you think you believe. It doesn't matter what anybody thinks they believe because there'll be a day when somebody's gonna come out of the sky with scars in his hands and his feet and his head and the scar that nobody thinks about, which is his circumcision. <laughs> I don't mean that as a joke. I mean, he's the king of Israel and it's a part of the scars on his body. And when he shows up in that day, the Lord will be one and his name one, meaning everyone from every, and then what happens? And then all the nations will go to the Mount of Olives and celebrate Sukkot with the king as he provides, as he uh, uh, officiates over the celebration of Sukkot and we thank him face-to-face -face for all the things that he's provided for us. Lord God, we thank you for who you are and who you've called us to be as a people. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us, especially those who are struggling in difficult seasons and worry and stress and concern. Lord, would you help us to trust that you've provided for your people in the past, you're providing for your people in the present, and you will provide for us until you come back. And we all celebrate Sukkot with you in Jerusalem. We praise you and thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen.